0: Welcome to the Real Biblical Manor podcast, where we are dedicated to sharing the life-changing truth from God's word in a clear and exciting way. Join us each week for practical guidance on Christian living, prayer, prophecy, and more. Be sure to follow our podcast so you can be notified each week of new episodes that will lead you into a deeper relationship with Christ as we commit ourselves to studying the Bible and following its teachings. If you enjoy the show, please leave us a review And also share it with your friends. Thank you for listening, and let's get started with another episode. In today's episode, we will be looking at ten facts about Jesus. Our scripture reading texts are John chapter one, verses one through fourteen; Colossians chapter one, verses twelve through twenty-two; Hebrews chapter one verses 1 through 14. As we look at our first question, was Jesus the Son of God? If we look at Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 and 14, Jesus asked his disciples, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Here we see that people were willing to believe that Jesus was some prophet raised from the dead, or Elijah returned from heaven, or just anyone except the Son of God, the Savior of men. But notice what Jesus said concerning his relationship to God. If we take a look at John chapter 3, verse 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And remember, if you want to follow along as we go through this study today, go over to our website, rockrunner.com, under Bible Study, Bible Study Lessons, and the lesson is there waiting for you, and you can follow along as you listen to this episode, 10 Facts About Jesus. There's a story that tells us of a lawyer who once told a judge that he had a number of reasons why his client was not present in the courtroom. The first being that his client was dead. So at that point, the judge told him there was no need for him to stay any of the other reasons because the first reason was sufficient enough. The evidence of the sonship of Christ could be set forth under seven different headings and proof for any one of these would be sufficient to settle the question. Number one, the testimony of the prophets. number two, Jesus' power to heal the sick and raise the dead. number three, his peerless teaching. Number four, his own resurrection. Number five, the testimony of his friends. Number six, the admission of his enemies. Number seven, the lives that were transformed by his power. We cannot here give further consideration to these evidences except to say that God testified, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 17. So this makes it clear that the scriptures teach that Jesus is the Son of God. Our second point. What was the relationship of Jesus to God? If you look at John chapter 10 and verse 30, it says, I and my father are one, said Christ. If we look at what the apostle John tells us in John chapter 1, verses 1 and 14, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. You can do further study on this passage by combining Hebrews chapter 1 verse 8 and also Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. Now people frequently ask, how can God and Christ be one? A simple answer is that they are one in purpose, in planning, one in love and action, in mind and character, yet each is a distinct personality. There is no need to have any anxiety over the Godship of Christ. God shares his throne with the Son. God has given to all morally responsible beings some authority and dominion. He gave dominion to Adam, and he gives great responsibility to the angels, but none occupies the place of the Son. If you look at Hebrews chapter 1, verse 6, let all the angels of God worship him. God the Father always holds his proper place. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 28, When all things shall be subdued unto him, Christ, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him, the Father, that put all things under him, Christ, that God may be all in all. So the scriptures make it plain that Christ is one with God and is called God. Now let's look at this. Did Christ live before coming to this world? If you turn in your Bibles to John chapter 17 and verse 5, it says, Now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Continuing on in our study, if we turn in our Bibles to Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, it tells us, But thou, Bethlehem Ephratah, Though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. Now, the preexistence of Christ is a doctrine that was most definitely taught by Jesus, and he mentions it in his last prayer just before Gethsemane. If you take a look at John chapter 6 and verse 38, he says, I came down from heaven. One writer says, From the days of eternity, the Lord Jesus Christ was one with the Father. He was the image of his greatness and majesty, the outshining of his glory. It was to manifest this glory that he came to our world. So according to the scriptures, Christ existed with God before the creation of the world. Let's look at our next point. Point number four. If you've went over to our website and downloaded the Bible study lesson and you're following along, point number four, what part did Christ have in the work of creation? Turn in your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. God hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world's. You can also add in and do an additional study with this passage by adding in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 9. John tells us in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. So this word that John speaks of, this word who created all things, was Christ. As verse 10 clearly shows us, this mighty creator is our Savior, and he has the power to create a new life in each and every one of us. How do we know this? Because his word is true, and it does not return void. Take a look at Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature or creation. So the Bible record indicates that Christ cooperated, worked together with God, the Father, in the work of creation. Let's take a look at our next point, point number five. In what way was the birth of Jesus supernatural? Turn in your Bible to Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. It reads, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel, meaning God with us. For further study into our point of in what way was the birth of Jesus supernatural, we can also reference Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, and also verses 22 and 23. They read Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord, by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son. Now this is what we've come to know as the incarnation. So Christ was not a new being, but he appeared in human form. The word was made flesh, John chapter 1 verse 14 tells us. Philippians chapter 2 verses 6 through 7 confirm this point further, saying, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. We can also look back again at Matthew chapter 1 verse 23. They shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. So you see, the scriptures teach that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and was born in the flesh of a virgin. This next point that we're going to look at is nothing new. From the beginning of time, we can see that the Israelites struggled with this. Prophets and people all throughout the Bible struggled with the same thing. Even kings throughout the Bible, many people from Genesis to the book of Revelation, struggle with this point. So what example did Jesus set for us in his struggle with temptation? Turn in your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 2. Verses 21 and 22, Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye shall follow his steps who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. If we look at John chapter 15 and verse 10, I have kept my father's commandments. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15, Jesus was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Now, because the Son of God lived a sinless life in the flesh, he accomplished five things. Number one, he demonstrated that by the indwelling power of God, the law of God could be kept by converted man. Number two, his righteous life in the flesh is now available to cover our sins. Number three, he is able to sympathize with us through his struggle against sin. Number four, he successfully revealed God to us. And number five, he is in a position to impart overcoming power to all who are tempted, to any one of us that is tempted. Now look at Paul's words, and we hear this used a lot. Romans chapter 8, verses 3 through 4. What the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So the Son of God overcame in the flesh, demonstrating that God's law can be kept and He is ready to dwell in each and every one of us. How? By His Spirit and fulfill His will in each and every one of us. So as we yield to the Spirit, we receive the power to obey God. You can do additional study by reviewing Romans chapter 8, verses 6 through 9. So the scriptures that we just reviewed declare that Jesus overcame temptation and indeed lived a sinless life. I do hope you're enjoying this lesson as much as I am, and I hope you're also following along. Remember, you can go at any time to ruachrunner.com, Bible study, Bible study lessons, and download the lesson, 10 Facts About Jesus, and follow along with us. So the next point that we will look at, what was accomplished by the death of Jesus? Point number seven. Point number seven. What was accomplished by the death of Jesus? Romans chapter five and verse eight. God commanded his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There's a story of a stranger who was seen reading names on tombstones in a Civil War cemetery. He stops before a forsaken grave, removes his hat and he stood gazing silently for quite some time. Finally, he takes out his pocket knife, whittled a small board to a sharp point, and cuts something on the face of it. Down on his knees, he placed the sharp end of the board at the head of the grave, and bearing down with his weight on the other end, he forces it solidly into the ground. Again, he quietly gazed downward. Brushing the tears from his eyes and face, he rose and slowly turned places his hat back upon his head, and with reverent steps, he moved quietly away. On the small board, he had engraved the words, He died for me. You see, in the war days of the years gone by, that stranger, a man who had a wife and children, had been called to the army. When he was just preparing to leave, another young man came to him and pleaded that he might go in his place instead, so that his wife and children might be spared their loved one and their care provider. That man finally yielded and allowed the other young man to go for him. Through the cruelness of the war, that young man was killed. So years later, the stranger came and stood by the grave. Something kept saying deep down inside, He died for you. He died for you. And so he did. And so did Jesus die for us. Let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 26, verses 27 and 28. He took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission, the forgiveness of sins. One writer has said that Christ was treated as we deserve, that we might be treated as he deserves. Mercy. He suffered the death which was ours, that we might receive the life which was his. With his stripes, we are healed. Powerful, powerful statement. You see, since the holy law of God is as sacred as God himself, only one equal with God could make atonement for its transgression. That someone was Jesus, our wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, the human mind may never fully fathom the science Philosophy or theology of the atonement, the at one, but we can accept it, and all who accept the sacrifice of Calvary will have the joy of a changed heart. The Bible very plainly teaches that Jesus died to make possible the forgiveness of our sins. Let's look at point number eight. Why is the resurrection of Jesus so important to us? If you turn in your Bible to Revelation chapter one, verses seventeen and eighteen. I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Let's move over to Romans chapter 5 and verse 10. If, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. You can do an additional study along with Romans chapter 5 and verse 10 by reviewing 1 John chapter 5 and verse 12. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead is a doctrine that distinguishes Christianity from all other world religions. Why? Because Buddha, Confucius, Muhammad, and the founders of other religious movements are dead. Jesus alone points to an empty tomb as evidence of divine power and of conquest over death. No fact connected with the life of Christ is so firmly supported as the fact of the resurrection. There was a group of infidels in England during the 18th century that became convinced that all efforts to overthrow the Christian religion would fail as long as people believed in the resurrection of Christ and in the conversion of the Apostle Paul. So one who was in their number, Dr. Gilbert West, who was a brilliant lawyer, was asked to publish a tract upon the alleged resurrection of Christ, while another, Lord Littleton, was to write a pamphlet exposing the conversion of Paul to be a myth. Sometime later, these two men met. West inquired of Littleton whether he had completed his assignment. Littleton replied in the affirmative, but he stated that in examining the evidence, he himself had become convinced of the conversion of Paul and was writing now in support of it. Then Littleton asked if West had finished his work on the resurrection. In reply, West confessed to a similar experience. In weighing all the facts, according to the recognized laws of legal evidence, Dr. West became satisfied that Jesus Christ really rose from the dead. If you would like to further do study on the results of this, you can find a copy of Dr. West's book titled observations on the history and evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our brother Paul goes on to boldly say in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 17 and 18, If Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, ye are yet in your sins, then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. The resurrected Christ is a living Christ. It is only through the power of the living Christ, the power of the resurrection, That power can change the life of a person and save that person. That same power is extended to each and every one of us. Paul sought to know the power of his resurrection as a daily experience, that he might at last be raised in the resurrection of the dead. Take a look at Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11 to study that out more extensively. If you take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 23, we see the resurrection of Christ is thus a sample and also a pledge of ours. Christ, the firstfruits, afterward, they that are Christ at his coming. So the scriptures teach that Jesus rose a victor over death to save us by his life and to assure us of our resurrection from the grave. Let's move on to study point number nine. Where is Jesus now and what is he doing? Forty days after the resurrection, we know that Jesus ascended to heaven, and his disciples were left behind. Now, here is a vivid picture of the scene Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. While they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. So Christ ascended to heaven to become our mediator and high priest. Now let's look what Paul says here. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5. There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. If you'd like to study out a little bit more being a good Berean, review Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 1. Also, Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25. Each of us need and have a representative in heaven who understands our problems. Jesus truly understands. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Review Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15. If we take a look at Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 17, he was made, made like unto his brethren, that he might be merciful high priest. Hebrews chapter 4 and 16 tells us we may come in reverent boldness to the throne of mercy, grace, and power. So according to the Bible, Jesus ascended to heaven and is now mediating on our behalf. So let's take a look at point number 10, our last point. Will Jesus come again? In review and study of John chapter 14, verses 2 and 3, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there ye may be also. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 28, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. The second coming of Christ is the climax of the gospel. It is the time of rewards. Without it, the cross loses its meaning. The cross is the seed of sowing of God's love. The second coming is what? The second coming is the harvest time, it is the homecoming of God's people. So the scripture clearly testifies that Jesus will come again, so let each and every one of us be ready to meet him. There are many prophecies predicted about Christ all throughout the Bible. Jesus is indeed our Savior, our Lord, and our God. He is our hope for this life and also for the life to come. I do hope you've enjoyed this study. I do hope that you're a good Berean, and go back. Download the lesson, if you haven't already, from our website. You can go over to ruachbrunner.com, click on the tab at the top that says Bible Study, the expandable down, Bible Study Lessons, and click on lesson number two. Here's a brief review of the questions that we went through today. Was Jesus the Son of God? Did Christ live before coming to this world? Did the Father and the Son share in the work of creation? What is meant by the word incarnation? How was Jesus our example while here on earth? Why did Christ have to die? Why is his resurrection so important to us? What is Jesus doing now? And is Jesus coming back for his people? Will he return a second time? I do hope you believe, brothers and sisters, that he will return. Until next time, walk good, do good, be good. Tornado, I'm out. And thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to continue helping to support the show, you can do so by sharing it with others and posting about it on your social media. Also, consider becoming a monthly sponsor of our podcast for as little as $4.99 a month by visiting anchor.fm forward slash rock runner and click that sponsor button. Until next time, Maranatha.